Before you get here, hallelujah, get some wet wet. You're like sick to make commitments to making a difference right move of God. I worked on it before I went on vacation, the message. I worked on it again all week. And it's funny, I've been going back and forth. And the Holy Spirit is just, I mean, he's starting a fire in me. He's starting a fire in me. And I'm a pretty fired up guy to begin with. But I'm telling you, I'm feeling a fire from what, I'm, what, what, what God is having me put together for you men. Uh, we are going to have praise and worship. We are going to have prophetic move. Uh, Pastor Say is going to move in the prophetic that night. Uh, we are going to have a powerful message. And we are, I, I promise all of you men, if you come, if you've been hearing me, I'm going to give you the greatest asset of your life. It's going to be tangible. You're going to leave with it. And so you do not want to miss this. Uh, we are going to really charge you men with what it's going to take to be committed to making a difference for the kingdom of God. Amen? All right. Well, tonight's message, I want to talk to you about uh, accepting the invitation to minister. How many people in here invite people to church, right? I assume most of us invite people to church. And that's kind of the model, isn't it? It's like invite people to church. But what I want to talk to you about is the other invitation, Because the other invitation is the people who are outside the church who have problems and circumstances and situations and all kinds of things. They are seeking for answers. They don't know what those answers are. And the invitation is there from them to you, the believer. The invitation to not just bring them here to minister to them, but to bring the ministry there. And trust me, we're, we're going to look at some powerful scriptures tonight. And really, this is what the early church did. They, they weren't inviting people to church. They were going out and radicalizing the community and accepting the invitation that the community was offering to them, particularly the Gentiles, right? They were like, man, we, we would love to have a relationship with our creator, but we've been told we can't. There's no opportunity for that. We're called pagans and all kinds of other things, and we have our mysticism and we have all this other stuff. But the, the, how many people know they were empty inside? The invitation was there. And Jesus, when he came, he came in demonstration of power. I mean power. But here's my opening scripture for you. John 1, 14. And it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we held His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father. And what does it say here? Full of what? Grace and truth. Now, the Gentiles of the day and the, the Pharisees and Sadducees of the day, there was no grace. None. Zero. And so when you have this Jesus showing up on the scene, he offended everybody. Like, oh my goodness, you are telling them that their sins can be forgiven? They don't know the law. They haven't been circumcised. They haven't gone through all the little hoops to get where we are. But the most powerful thing that you as the church can incorporate into your life as a Christian is not just the truth. Because the truth is full of rules. The truth is, listen, at the end of the day, you could work your whole life and never accomplish the whole truth in your life. Without grace and truth, 
you're going to miss the mark. You're going to feel condemned. You're going to feel beat up. You're going to feel unworthy. You're, you're going to make a mistake, and then you're going to drop out of church. And all these kinds of things, if it's all about the truth. Because, listen, at the end of the day, the Jewish people had the truth. They had it. But guess what? They could not live up to it. No matter how hard they worked, no matter what they did. But I wonder sometimes when we look at the world and we want to minister to them and it's all about truth and there's no grace. You know, I was going to make a little thing and I, I got so busy today and I couldn't do it. Ginger, come, come right here for just a second. Just take your fingers and go like this. Overlap them and face the crowd. Yep, and face the crowd. Well, actually overlap like that. So if you look at Ginger's fingers here, the closer these come together, the more wholeness you'll create. See, it's not about the peripheral that's out here. This is grace. This is truth. Because you can get as much trouble going all grace as you can in all truth. You can, I'm telling you, folks, you together, the greater opportunity we have for the kingdom of God to flourish. Thank you so much. We've got to go to the world with both. It can't be labels and, well, you're this and you're that, so therefore, you know, I don't know how to talk to you or you're already condemned and you, you're living this lifestyle and blah, 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 blah. And it's all about the lifestyle. Where is the grace? Because if we're not careful, we'll, we'll put the fence so doggone high that nobody can jump. How many people in here work in an industry where you get uh, audited or you get like some surveyor coming in once a year or twice a year? Okay, keep your hands up for a second. Of those who are in that, keep your hand up if you love it when they come. You don't like being judged, do you? You need what? You need some grace, right? We have work to do here. Like, you're coming in here, you don't, you're not aware of what's going on in our environment, and you're just going to nitpick every little thing, and, you know, all of a sudden it's like, oh my goodness, you know, are we going to even be able to stay open? How many hours are we going to have to contribute now to jump high enough to meet this regulator's thing? How many people would say that the things that the regulators have picked on, that the majority of them were things that didn't even matter to what you did. Right? I think that's what the world is like. Like, when we come in as that inspector, and we're just going, well, you know, you're this way or you're that way, and so that lifestyle disqualifies you from the kingdom of God, that is foolishness. And I'm going to give you some scripture tonight that's just going to blow your mind to help you see how important it is for the world to receive grace. They don't need an auditor coming in their life, telling them that they do this and they do that and this, that, and the other. They don't need to, they don't want to have to jump higher in their life to get in to what we call the, the kingdom of God. They've already got their own problems. They've already got their own situations. They don't have the foggiest idea of what you're even talking about. And if it's always about the rules... Rather than the grace mixed with the rules, how would you ever disciple someone who doesn't know Christ? 1 Corinthians 9.22, it says, When I am with those who are weak, I share their weaknesses. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. 
Isn't that what we all want to do? Isn't that the goal? I want to bring those who are out there in here. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything that I can do to get them to see the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I just see this over and over. I see it on Facebook. I see it in different places. And, oh, this, that, and the other. And, you know, you, you see this great divide. And, you know, now you got politically division. And all this kind of stuff is going on out there. They don't need politics. They don't need religion. They don't need any of those things. They need Christ. They need the opportunity to not just, you know, say, well, hey, why don't you come to church to get ministered to? Listen, how many... Here's how most Christians will handle uh, a situation that's going on with someone else. They tell you the problem, right? And then you say, I'll, I'll be praying for you. Don't be praying for them. Pray for them. Listen, they're, they're coming to you with a problem that Christ can resolve for them. It's not about how great of a prayer person you are. It's not about how anointed and how many scriptures you know and, you know, you're right standing with God and, you know, you, you, you serve in the nursery, you know, you, 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 you're at church at all the time and, you know, forget all that stuff. Be real with somebody. They don't care about all that stuff. They're hurting. They don't know how to get out of the situation that they're in. And they may even, when you're praying, not even be like, they want it. But they'll say, yeah, okay, yeah, you could pray for me. You have just accepted their invitation. It's there. They're knocking at your door. They're practically pounding it down. By talking to you about all of their problems and their circumstances and their situations and how this isn't working, that's not working, this is an invitation. It is an absolute invitation. And if we're not careful, we won't accept that invitation. We'll just say, well, you know, that's a really tough lady. You know, she's like tough, man. Like, oh, my gosh. You know, I'm afraid she'll run me over if she, you know, if I ask her if I could pray for her. She ain't going to run you over. Christ, what you got to understand is, is every single person was created from truth. You just got to back up the bus. Before there was a before, you were, that person was in the heart and mind of God. When he spoke, I mean, things started to happen all the way to that person. And that person is here today. And so you've got to understand that the Word of God does not return void. It cannot. So I'm just saying, if the invitation's there, don't worry about if you said it right. Don't worry about if you prayed it right. Don't worry about, you know, if you slobbered halfway through. Who cares? Have fun. And so difficult. And, oh, you know, she called me a bad name one time, so I'm not praying for her. That dude is a mean dude over there, man. He cusses and swears. I mean, worse than a sailor. What, I'm going to ask him if he, if he wants me to pray for him? If the invitation is there, if it's there, and I promise you when they're coming and that they're saying, here's what's going on, they are voicing a concern, and that is a true invitation for you to say, hey, let me pray for you. Just, I mean, be the guy behind the bush that just pops out, you know, like last thing they would have ever expected you to say, 
Say it in the moment. Don't delay. I know many of you have been at that, 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 road, that, that crossroads, and you've denied it. Anybody ever done that? You just didn't do the prayer. You're just like, oh, geez, not that person, or I, I don't feel comfortable. It's not the right time or place, or, you know, you know what I'm talking about, unless it's just me. And then you're like, oh, I should have prayed. Oh, man, I should have prayed. And worse than that, you don't even call the person or even follow up with the person. I'm just saying that invitation is constantly there. And they may not understand how God can move in their life. And you may not understand how that's going to work out either. But faith is the substance of things you hope for and the evidence of things you can't see. And so it's not by your might, it's not by your power, it's by the Spirit of the Lord. But if we never accept the invitation, if we never reach out to that person in a, in a way to minister to that person, they're just going to remain the same. They're just going to remain the same. My whole Christian walk is because someone outside of the church. I, I was not in the church. Someone outside of the church saw me in my hurting and broken state and just said, I'm going to minister to that person. And they did. They loved on me. They, I mean, they, I, I, I was, I, it was like I had a red carpet rolled out in front of me. That's how I, when I look back on Dave and, and Sharon Halverson, who, who just rolled the carpet right out. I didn't know them personally. My dad knew them. I'd met them maybe, I don't know, half a dozen times or so. I didn't quite even know where they lived, and I showed up at their doorstep, and I said I needed a place to stay, and I promise you, they, he walked me right in there. He set me up in there, and I mean, these people would wait. They would wait until I got home from work, and sometimes they'd get in late. They'd wait to even eat their dinner. They were looking forward all day long to me coming in their house and me sitting at their table so that they could minister to me. They were prepared in every possible way. And I'm telling you, that invitation's there. They could have just said, we're busy. We, we have a life we're living. We, we got stuff to do, you know. But they didn't do that. I wonder where I would be today if they didn't answer that call. If they didn't accept my invitation, which I didn't even know I was inviting them that way, I needed a place to stay, you see? And they took that as an invitation to minister to this young man. He's here for a reason. He's here for a purpose. He's here because he needs something. He's here because we can actually do something about his life. I don't think I'd be standing here today. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that wouldn't have happened. But they accepted my invitation through my pain. I resisted at first. I, you know, you're just like, Come, you know, I don't know about all this and that. And I came out of a bad relationship. And, you know, you're just kind of just drifting through life. But they saw the hurt. They saw the pain. And they, they accepted the challenge. Luke 19, 1 through 9. And th this is really going to get into how important it is 
to make sure you have the right blend of grace and truth. How many people know Jesus is the truth? He's the word of God, right? But man, he's the author of, of grace as well. So let's read this passage of scripture because this is really going to help bring some clarity as to what I'm really talking about in accepting the invitation from them. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in all of the region. So this is the, the tax collector that's managing all the other tax collectors. And he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. This is how notorious Zacchaeus was. This wasn't a prophetic moment. This is like everybody knows that's Zacchaeus up in the tree. He says, Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Now, listen, I, I don't know about you, but I, I'm not just going to invite myself over to someone's house. But Jesus saw the need. He saw the opportunity to minister to this guy. He saw the, the invitation that was there because of all the people in the crowd, there's only one guy sitting up in a tree. It's an opportunity. It's an invitation to go to that person and minister to them. And it says, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. Now, the people are not the people like the Pharisees and Sadducees and all the priests. These are the people that were there that were thronging him. And they're going like, whoa, you know, don't you know how bad that person is? Like, I'm displeased. I'm disgusted with the idea that you're going to go over to his house and have lunch with him. And it says, he has gone to be the guest. Oh, man, look at this word. The guest of a notorious sinner. This is the notorious one. They grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people, if I have cheated people on my taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, he said, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Oh my goodness, could you imagine being a Jew and hearing Jesus say that this notorious creep, the scum of the earth, is now a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. He didn't come for all of us righteous people. There's two kinds of people really in the church today. There's the dwellers and there's the seekers. The dwellers want to keep the inside of the church clean and praise the Lord, sit in the same seat every week and, you know, get a good message every week, man. Keep, keep everything calm and high-five each other and develop relationships and, you know, all that kind of stuff, the fun stuff, right? 
Those are dwellers. But Jesus was a seeker. Jesus went from town to town. He went from region to region. He went out. In fact, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. But if you're not careful, you'll become a dweller. The Jewish people were dwellers, man. I mean, they had the palace. They had everything. They had the temple, the courts. I mean, just everything built. I mean, pristine and cleaned and polished and shined and, you know, had the right, you know, robes on and all that kind of stuff. What a waste of time. What a waste of time. There's people out in your courtyard of your temple who are actually suffering and without, without any relationship with God. And here you have the Messiah here, right, when Jesus was walking the earth, and you kill the man. You kill the man. For what? For accepting the invitation of the people that he came and met. He didn't come to save us church dwellers. You're already in. You're already in. But imagine if you had the cure for cancer and we just built a little building and said, well, it's only for us right here. And, and your lifestyle prohibits you from, from having this, right? Like, like you have it all. You have it all, or you don't have it all, and you need to, I mean, grab a hold of God like you've never grabbed a hold of him before and say, man alive, I need to be saved. I need to be filled with the presence of God. The glory of God needs to rest upon my life. I need to have the assurity of that because the moment you have the assurity of that, I'm telling you, you'll go into all the world. You'll preach the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. You won't care about the mean person or the, the person with the bad lifestyle. And you won't be speaking against people. And even speaking against people in the church that are struggling, that are having a hard time. And they're difficult to be around. Quit being a dweller. Quit being a dweller. Man, I, the, the kind of church I want to belong to, man, is chaos. It is, I mean, problems galore. Bring the people in here. Let's allow the presence of God to have influence on their lives. Rather than just turning them over to the devil and just letting their lives go in whatever direction the enemy wants to take them in. I want to see bad stuff in the church again. I do. If Jesus was willing to go to a notorious sinner's home, even against the, 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 the feelings of the people who were thronging him, the invitation is there. Accept it every opportunity you can. Mark 2, 13 through 17 says, Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of that person, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, get this in your mind. Here's a tax collector's booth. Where is it? It's right by the sea. Why is it by the sea? Because he's watching everything that's coming in, and he's going to make sure he gets every nickel and dime. Now, just imagine having to encounter that every day after work. You know, you worked and toiled hard all day long, and he's watching how much you're bringing in, and he's writing it down in the book, and he's going to come collecting that money. 
And it says, as we walked along, we saw Levi. He was a tax collector in the booth. Follow me and be my disciple, he says. Jesus says to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited, you see that? Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners, the scum of the earth. And there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of the religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors, oh boy, and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people do not need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. We need grace. If there's indifference with people, don't make it about the indifference. Make it about the grace and the truth. And you know what? Sometimes you're going to have to extend way more grace to that individual to get them to come closer to truth. It's not up to you of how quick that person's going to come to truth. It's not up to you of how quick they're going to get discipled. None of that is up to you. But you need to make sure that the indifferences that the church and the world have are not prohibiting you from being able to minister to that person. The church needs a higher standard of grace and truth. When I read that opening scripture, that was the description of the embodiment of Jesus Christ. No one had ever come in a religious way the way Jesus did with grace. And this is the truth, Jesus. That's how important grace is. And how important it is to reach those who are lost and not be so concerned about how dirty they are, how disgusting things are that they do in their behaviors. Forget about all of that stuff. None of that stuff's going to amount to a hill of beans. But when you intervene and when you see what's happening without the judgment and the rules and you can say, oh, Saved by grace. That person could be saved by grace. Well, I don't know about, the, oh, no, they can be. They can be. And I'm going to go there right now. I'm not going to delay. Galatians 3, 26 through 29. For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile or slave or free or male or female, straight or gay or whatever. Jesus wants to touch them all, every single one of them, no matter how detestable their behaviors are. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. 
You are the descendant of Abraham. You are the son or the daughter of God through Abraham. What did Abraham invent? Faith. Faith. And the amazing part of Abram to Abraham is he went out and tried to do it on his own. And he, in that very story, needed to depend on grace. Even before Christ ever showed up on this planet, he had to depend on grace to get that promised seed and to bring that child into the earth. Let's see here. Romans 4, 7 through 12. Oh, what a joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven. Wouldn't you like to liberate someone from their disobedience? Things they don't even know they're disobedient in. Whose sins are put out of sight. Things that are detestable that they'd never want anybody else to see. Yes, what a joy for those who record the Lord has cleared of sin. Now is this blessing only for the Jews? Is it only for Faith Builders Church? Is it only for the church, the global church? Or is it also for every uncircumcised, every, I mean, person out there, the ones that have done the most heinous things and the ones that are, quote, unquote, good people? Well, we have all been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. We need to restore faith in people again. Faith in humanity again. Faith that, you know what, if I can speak the truth, if I can speak the word with grace, that that grace and that word is not going to return void. It's going to do what it was sent to do because of my faith and my belief in it. You know, we as the Christians, we need to get back into faith, not just faith for ourselves, for the good job, for the better business, for the better marriage, for ourselves, and so on and so forth. That's all important. You need to continue to develop yourselves that way. But your faith really should be in the finished work of Jesus Christ so that the world could be saved through Christ. But how did this happen? When he counted as righteousness only after he was circumcised, or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly, God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Circumcision was just a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God already accepted him and declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised, even before he, he did what he thought he had to do. you got to hear that by the Spirit of God. You, it's not about what you're going to do, except you have to minister. Just accept that the ministry is happening maybe before you see the transformation occur. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith, but uh, who have faith but have not been circumcised. So they haven't been fixed yet. They haven't been repaired yet. It, it, it's not done yet. But through your faith in the promises of God's word, through the invitation of these people that are out there, I promise you, their lives will be changed. And Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only if they have the same kind of faith Abraham had before he was circumcised. 
So it's not about whether you're fixed, whether you jumped all through all the hoops. It's not about any of that kind of thing. It's about can you minister to that person who's given you the invitation through their communication, through their actions, through the results of their life even. They may not even say anything to you, but you can discern something. You can see something that's happening in their life, and you can act on that in a way that can minister to that person. Don't be judgmental. Don't be hurtful. Don't point out all their bad things. Don't be the inspector coming in to do the inspection. Luke 9, 1 through 5. One day Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast all demons and, and heal all the diseases, which, by the way, he's given you all that too. So just put yourself right there. I'm one of the disciples of Jesus. And he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He sent them out, out. Well, what if there was nobody there to heal? What if there was nobody out there to be sick? No, there were. Jesus knew that, and he's instructing them to go and accept the invitation that's waiting for you. It says, take nothing for your journey, he instructed them. Don't even take a walking stick or a traveler's bag or food or money or even a change of clothes. Wherever you go, just stay in the same house till you leave town. And if the town, and you can put person in here, the town or person refuses to welcome you, shake the dust off your feet and as you leave to show that you have abandoned those to their own fate. Listen, the power of free will is the greatest gift that God has ever given to humanity. It's not up to you to get people saved. It's up to you to accept the invitation. It's up to you to say what needs to be said or the prayer or whatever. Extend the grace to that person. And if they reject you, you respect that. Every day God has to respect that. Millions of people who don't know God for who he is, and God respects their choice. So don't feel that whether they got saved or they didn't get saved, you just speak the word into their life with grace and mercy, pray for them, and allow the word to do the work. Matthew 4, 23 through 25, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, announcing the good news. Praise the Lord. Don't bring people bad news. Don't tell them about, you know, all the hoops they got to jump through. Don't do that. You tell them about the good news. Listen, at the end of the day, do you want to serve a God that isn't providing good news back to you? Why would you want to even us collectively in this room? Why be saved by some religious idea that isn't producing the goodness of God in your life. What would be the point of that? So you got to make sure that you're looking at the world, those people that are out there with the invitation, and you're giving them good news about the kingdom. It says he healed every kind of disease and illness. Those were the invitations that he had on his, uh, at, at his disposal that day. News about him spread as far as Syria. And people soon began, to, began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were ever demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the ten towns, Jerusalem, all over Judea, and the east over the Jordan River, never had to invite even one of them. Never had to invite any of them. They came. 
with the invitation. They heard what was happening, and they wanted what he had. And I'm telling you tonight, the people that you have in your communities, in your jobs, in your families, your extended families, they need the gospel of good news of Jesus Christ. The invitations are there. Just think of the, the conversations you've had even this week and someone had said something or you, you saw that someone was in need or whatever. These are real things that people need to be ministered to and they're inviting you uh, through, their, through, through their, what they're communicating to you. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, Jesus said, Come to me, all you are uh, weary and heavy with heavy burdens. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. I'm humble and gentle at heart. I'm humble and gentle at heart. I'm the truth and I could crush you right now with all of the foolish things that you're doing. But guess what? I'm humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your mind, your will, and your emotions. For my yoke is easy to bear, and my burden I give you is light. I want you to think about for a moment the, the way things were back then. If you got a disease, you were probably going to what? You're going to die. And if you, if you didn't die, you probably wished you would die. We're talking about infections and all kinds of bad, painful things, right? And so I kind of look at what Jesus was doing in healing the sick as like, well, they, they don't have that. That's the invitation. They, they don't have anywhere to go. I'm just going to go over there. I'm going I'm to heal them. I'm going to meet them right where they're at. But I think in this day and age, yes, that's needed, and yes, we should pray for each other, but there's so many other needs right now. Think of like, social media bullying, and think about all these other things that are going on that are, I mean, deeply affecting people in ways that I'm telling you people back then wouldn't have ever even thought of. It's not just about healing the sick. It's wonderful. I, I hope you do. But it's about so much more, so many other things that this modern culture is dealing with right now. The millennials are falling away right now. They're doing studies right now. And you think, well, you know, those are that, that culture, I don't get them. And, you know, oh, you know, they, they, they just need to stand up and do what's right. Are you out of your ever-loving mind? How many people in this room, with what you are embodied with, could have helped it? You, you, you see what I'm saying? Like, who I was as part of my generation, could I have prevented that? Heavens, no. But I'm thankful that the gospel started to, the method started to change to reach my generation so that we didn't all fall away. I see so clearly right now the need for these millennials. They, you guys have so much to offer the church. So much to offer. And I just see so much religion. And I see you as those millennials that really want the authentic move of God. But you're not sure how to do it because you got people like me in your way. I'm sorry about that. 
I'm deeply convicted in my heart over that. You need to have a voice in the body of Christ. We need to understand this culture that's coming up. Not just ignore it and say, well, they're different than us. And, you know, how, wh- wh- what am I going to do about it? We're just going to stick over here to truth, by God. We're going to stick to these methods because these are the methods that work. While statistically, and you can't change statistics and what's happening, the millennials are just falling out of the church. We've got to change our methods. It's got to be less about being the dweller and protector of the way things are and looking at what things really are happening and the invitations that are there. And I mean the explosiveness that could occur if we just shifted our mindset towards the people that are falling away. I'll close with the scripture and I'll be done. John 3, 16 and 17. See it at every football game. For this is how God loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world. Not to judge the world. But to save the world through him. God saw the loss of souls. Catch this. He saw the loss of souls for generations and generations and generations. He is God. He changes not, right? And yet he sent his only begotten son to reach the lost. He saw the invitation and he sent his only begotten son to bring grace and truth and to liberate them, liberate you, liberate everybody in this world from the influence that sin has on our lives. And because of what Jesus did, you are now joint heirs with Christ. The world needs it. The world is asking for it. And I commission all of you under the unction of the Holy Spirit, under the unction of the Word of God, to go and accept these invitations. Get beyond your apprehensions. Get beyond your critical thinking. Get beyond the rules and the regulations on how that needs to happen. Don't get so consumed by your method that you can't convey the message. Heavenly Father, we just thank you and praise you tonight. I thank you, Father God, that you are calling us, Father God, to accept the invitations that this world is offering to us, Father, just as you accepted that invitation, just as you met those needs, just as you afforded your own son, just as you went beyond not just truth but now grace. And I just thank you that your grace and your truth, Father God, become one in the hearts of people, Father God.
so that we can have the methods, Father God. Give us insights, Father God, on how we can reach this, this younger generation, Father God, for the glory, so that we have a strong church, not just what we have now, not just the four corners of this property and the way it is now, but that the four corners of this property can begin to multiply and begin to spread, Father God. And it can get, get to continue even stronger than it is today. We have a great church, Father, and we're thankful for that. But we know this church can be so much greater. And I just thank you, Father God, for the willingness of every single person to meet the needs of those around them with the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. And I thank you that as they do that, they'll do it with faith and expectancy, Lord God, that the word that they would speak, that the prayer that they would pray, that the conversation that they would have, Father God, would not return void, but that it would bring people into the kingdom of God just as they are, Father God. And I thank you for transformation in the hearts of people. I thank you for salvations, Lord God. I thank you for indwellings of the Holy Spirit. I thank you for the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit that get to come out of that. I thank you, Father God, for the glory that you share with us. And all these people, all created from the same thing, which is truth. That when those words are spoken, that they will resonate with the very foundation of who they are. There may be some of you in this room tonight that, you know, you, 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 you got to come back to Christ or you need to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior for the first time. Everything I've talked about tonight, the whole reason this church exists is so that you could be here tonight and you could get your heart right with God. I want us to all pray this prayer together, but especially those who want to recommit and those who want to come to Christ. Everybody's going to pray, so you're not going to be praying by yourself. But let's say this prayer together. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. I make you the Lord of my life. Holy Spirit, come live inside of me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Keep your heads bowed for just a moment. If you prayed that prayer tonight, you meant it with all your heart. I just want you to slip up your hand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I see that hand. I see that hand. Thank you for the courage to raise your hands. Thank you for the courage. Okay, eyes open, everybody looking around. Listen, if you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your first step is to please let somebody know. Let them know I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Let them know that you rededicated your life tonight. It's so critical that you do that. So critical. I'll be here after service. We'll have some other pastors and elders here after service as well. If you want further prayer, we're here for you. We want you to get a whole, we don't want you to have an experience with God. We want you to have the experience with God. I'll tell you, because once you drink of these waters, once you really grab a hold of this thing, you'll never be the same again. Hey, uh, men, don't forget, invite someone to the men's conference this Friday. Uh, food will be served at 630. We'll see you at 615. Otherwise, God bless you all, and we'll see you Sunday morning.